Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. A recent study found that the average American has 16 friends. However, of those 16, only three would be considered friends for life. Today, John continues to share with us about the best friend any of us could have. In the conclusion of his message, Jesus, our greatest friend. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 20? In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, we read about something that happened on the morning of the resurrection. This is Easter, the very first Easter Sunday morning, and Jesus is out of that grave, and yet Mary doesn't know it. This is Mary Magdalene. And interestingly enough, years earlier, Jesus had ca- she was demon-possessed, and Jesus had cast the demons out of her. And so after he cast the demons out and changed her life and saved her and forgave her and everything, she became one of his followers. This was up in the Galilee area, 70 miles away from Jerusalem where he would be crucified. But she became a follower of Jesus. And she followed him from Galilee down to Jerusalem. She witnessed the crucifixion. She saw him be buried. And she was hoping for a resurrection, but she didn't know how that might work out. Well, in verse 11, here's what it said. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She's sad. And why is she sad? And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is open. And she's going in there more than likely to anoint the body of Jesus, certainly to pay her respect. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet. And if you've been to Jerusalem and you've been to the garden tomb, you know that when you walk in that tomb, the, 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 the place where his body was laid was on the right, and you can see exactly where his body was laid. And on the top and of the bottom of that, there were angels. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. In other words, somebody's taken the body of Jesus somewhere. And I don't know where they've taken him, and how can I go pay my respect, or how can I do what I came to do? Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. So he had not revealed herself yet. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, so Jesus is right in front of her, but she thinks it's the gardener, said to him, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, this is one of the most tender verses in all the Bible. Jesus said to her, Mary. One word. He called her name. And when Jesus said Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, teacher. And so in this moment, when she is so sad, so lonely, so confused, so anxious, all those things... She's talking to Jesus, thinking it's the gardener. Jesus calls her name, and in that moment, her eyes are open, and she's aware, this is Jesus. He's alive. And when he called her name, that's how she knew it was him. And in the speaking of her name, it was like Jesus was saying to her, I know who you are. I know why you're here. I know how you feel. I know everything about you. Now, in my Bible, right above Mary in verse 16, I've written my name, John. 
So that every time I read this passage, it is a reminder that just like Jesus knew everything about Mary, Jesus knows everything about you. Now, let me just slow that down and make an application here today. Somebody needs to hear this. Whatever it is that you're going through today, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows what your emotional state is. He knows what your circumstances are. He knows about your family dynamic. He knows everything, and if you could just hear today him calling your name, Billy, Jamie, Susan, whatever your name is, God knows it, and when he revealed himself that way to Mary, she knew that he knew, and then she knew that was him, and so that sadness and that weight and that loneliness was all lifted off her shoulder. How does Jesus become our friend? Now, At the beginning of the message, I said we might write Jesus our Savior, and I think 95% of the people here today, maybe not quite that high, but maybe 95 would be able to say that. But I wonder today, how many here could truly say, yeah, he's my Savior, all right, but I have found Jesus Christ to truly be my friend. How does Jesus become our friend? Well, he becomes our friend when he speaks to us. There's something about Jesus speaking to us, not just speaking to us, but revealing himself to us, making himself real to us. And today during this worship time, if you could get this, if I could somehow communicate it and you could somehow get it, that Jesus Christ knows everything that you're going through right now, and he not only knows, he is with you. He not only knew who Mary was and what she was feeling, he was with her. He joined her in that, and that's when Jesus became real to me. I think about times in my life when Jesus has been unusually real to me. I mentioned, I told a story last week how when I was a freshman at Baylor, and I was very homesick. I missed my family. I missed my friends. I missed my church. I missed everything that was familiar to me. And for me, one of the greatest experiences about college wasn't just who I met and what I learned. One of the greatest experiences about my four years in Waco was that Jesus became more real to me than he had ever been because during those four years, Jesus was really all I had. I mean, I had plenty of friends, but I'm saying he became something to me that he never had been before. I had never known him that way. Well, time went by and In 1992, I graduated from Baylor, and I moved up to Fort Worth, about an hour and a half up the road, and I enrolled in seminary, Southwestern Seminary, and I began my three-year experience there working on my master's degree. Well, when I moved to Fort Worth, I was excited to be in seminary and learn all that I was going to learn and meet the people I would meet, some of these professors I had heard about all my life, and now they were going to be my professors, and so I was excited about that. But when I moved up to Fort Worth, I experienced something that I never had experienced. Now, when I started my college life, I was homesick. Well, when I started my seminary life, I wasn't homesick because I'd been away from home so long. That that didn't apply anymore. But I'll tell you what I was. I was lonely. In fact, I was lonelier in Fort Worth than I was in Waco. And the reason is, several reasons. One of the reasons was when I was in college, And you know how this is in college. Most everybody is single. And so all your friends are basically a different version of you. I mean, you you have everything in common with everybody because you're all single. you're, You're going through life together, and you have all that in common. Well, when I got to seminary, it was the opposite. Most everybody up there was married. And so I, of course, was single, and I thought, man, this is this is a little this is throwing me off a little bit because, you know, 
all my friends that I go to class with, like at the end of the day, they're going home to their, to their family and, and so on, and, and I'm just going home to my party. And it, just, it was a different dynamic. And, and to compound that, I was missing people I had gone through Baylor with, and, and I had gotten very you know, comfortable with, with those friendships. And now I'm in, in, in Fort Worth, and, and I just really felt lonely. In fact, I went through, I don't know that you would call this depression. I don't know. I mean, I don't know when, when, when loneliness and sadness and even strong discouragement... I don't know when that shifts into depression. I'm not exactly sure what that line is. There is a line. But I'll just tell you this. For me, I had trouble sleeping. First time in my life I'd ever had trouble sleeping. I had trouble eating. I lost about 15 pounds because I just lost my appetite. I couldn't concentrate. I would go to class. The professor would be giving a lecture. My mind was out. I mean, I, would just, I couldn't follow it. And then I would go to my apartment at night to read And maybe you've had this. I would read the same page ten times, and I would think, "Well, I don't remember. I've read it ten times. I still don't know what I just read." I I couldn't concentrate. It was a very difficult time for me. And this went on for quite a few months. Well, one Thursday night, this was in April of 1993. So this has been 28 years ago. I had had dinner in 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 my apartment, and I was getting ready to go to the library to study for the night. And so I. Got my backpack and zipped it up and got all my books and so on. And I walked out the door, closed the door behind me, locked it. And I was walking down this long outside hall, kind of like a porticoche type thing for walking. And I was going to the library. Probably for the first time in my life, it was not the first time that I had heard the voice of God, but the first time in my life that I felt God impress something on me quite like this. And here's what it was. It's like, not, not audibly, but in my heart. It's like God said, John, go back in your apartment. Get a notebook, get a pen, sit down, and I'm going to give you some things to write down. This is what I've been teaching you, or what I've been trying to teach you for these last three or four months while you have been up here feeling so lonely, so isolated, so on an island. This is why I've allowed you to go through this. And so I went in my apartment, and I just started writing things down. And I wrote six things, six things that God had taught me. And when I finished writing that down and reading over that list and thinking about what was happening, what God was saying to me, I just remember thinking, well, this is why. This is why I've been through what I've been through up here and feeling so lonely. And I remember I went over and got out on my knees at the foot, at the ottoman of one of my chairs in there, and I prayed. And I just said, God, it makes sense to me now. This is what you're doing in my life. And here's, I'm telling a long story today because somebody needs to hear this. When I prayed that prayer and said, God, now it makes sense. When God revealed these things to me, the, the, the sadness, the loneliness, the discouragement, if it was depression, whatever it was, in a split second, it just lifted off of me. And for the first time in three or four months, I just felt completely like myself. My mind was clear. I was excited about life. I was glad to be in seminary. I I just, I just, it was just lifted. That the in that moment, the cloud was lifted. Now, why do I make tell that part of the story? Here's why: because there's somebody listening to this message today. And you're under a cloud, man, a cloud of sadness and loneliness. And you say, John, I can identify with how you felt. Like everybody else is living in one world, and you're living over here in another world, and you're having a tough time knowing how to live in this other world. and, And I understand. What I'm saying is today, just like that, God can lift that off of you. 
And God can help you to see that He has allowed you to be in the situation you're in right now so that you can know Him in a deeper way than you've ever known Him and so that He can become, He's already your Savior, He's already your Lord, He's already your protector, provider, and peace, but so that He can become your friend in a way that you've never known Him to be your friend. Like when I started Baylor and He became of more real to me than ever, yes, but at Fort Worth, in Fort Worth, it was even magnified. And he became my friend in a much deeper way. It's interesting. That was in April of 1993. A few days or a week or two after that, my dad called me and he said, John, I'm going to be away. He said, can you drive to Pasadena this weekend and preach the Sunday night sermon? And so I did. I drove down here, I preached Sunday night, and that, that was so in me. This thing about what God had, lessons he had taught me in the valley. I never will forget that night. I preached a sermon called Victory in the Valley. And in that sermon, I listed out all six of those things. Well, after the sermon, one of the members of our church, a man named C.L. Ellis, who used to be the chief of police for Pasadena Independent School District. He's in heaven now. He heard that sermon that night. And he wrote down all six things that I said to him. And he typed that up, printed it out, and put it on a little card laminated it, and started passing it out to people. I can remember how good that made me feel. I thought, I finally said something good enough that somebody felt like they could write it down and laminate it, because that, that, that had certainly never happened before. But it did then. And somehow, one of those little cards got to my grandfather, my dad's dad, in Georgia. And I never knew about this. But years after he died, my dad and his sister, my aunt, had divvied up who got what, And my dad ended up getting my grandfather's wallet. And and this is it right here because years ago he gave this wallet to me. He said, John, I'm going to give you Big Pop's wallet. And he said, I thought you might enjoy this. Well, of course, immediately I opened up to see how much money Big Pop had left me. And here it is. That's my grandfather's. That's what I got from him. One dollar is what he left me in his wallet. But uh, it has his driver's license on it. And in the back of this wallet, and I never knew my granddad had it. He had this little card, things to remember in the valley. And I guess my dad probably gave it to him, but I just remember thinking, I guess when my grandmother died, he found comfort and he found solace in that. And I'm not going to preach the six things that I learned in that, but I will tell you the very first lesson. How many times have you heard me through the years stand up here and say, whatever you're going through, remember this, God is in control. How many times have you heard me say that? Hundreds of times. When did I learn that? That Thursday night in April 1993 in my apartments, the first thing God told me to write to John, the reason I've allowed you to go through this, I've got to teach you at this age. I was about 23 then. I've got to teach you at this age. No matter what you go through out there in life, I'm absolutely in control. I'll tell you the second thing God taught me. And I wrote it down on, on that card. And that is this. In our valley experiences in life, Even when we lose those people and those things that are so dear to us, it is in those moments that we learn that Jesus Christ is all we need. I want you to hear that today. You say, John, I'm so glad you're only talking about this first point because sadness, loneliness, isolation, Feeling like I don't fit in. Like that's how I felt. I thought, I just don't fit in. I fit in at Baylor, man. I don't fit in in this world. God said, I'm going to teach you how to fit in. You fit in by finding your identity in your relationship with me. 
Not by being exactly like everybody else in this world with you. That's not, you don't fit in by conforming. You fit in by having a relationship with me where, I, where you find your completeness in me and you find your identity in me. God was giving me things in April of 1993 that have sustained me for the years since then. They're the anchors of my life. And so I'm saying to you today, friend, listen. Jesus Christ wants to become the dearest friend that you have ever had. And he can if you will realize that he understands everything about you. He understands things about you your spouse doesn't understand. He understands things about you your best friend doesn't understand. Let me tell you something. He understands things about you you don't understand. Because there's sometimes things in me I think, God, I don't understand this in my own self. And I'm sure he says, no, I know you don't, but I do. Because I'm major and I know you inside out. And, and, we, and, we can, and we get to that place where we say, not only does he understand, he is right here with me in this. Now, I want to say one other thing. I know this is a little different, but I want to say one other thing before I end this. You know, friends, I, I, I've been thinking as I prepared this sermon last week about my own friends. I just feel so blessed to have a lot of friends. And many of you, now some of you I never have met, so I, I'm going to just consider you the friend I don't know yet. But most of you I have met and I do know very well, and I consider, I consider you my friends. So, I mean, we've been together so long, I consider most all of you my friends. And friends are a tremendous blessing from God. But if we're not careful as we go through life, we can depend on our friends in ways that we should only depend on God. And that's why, like when I moved to college and then I moved to seminary, and now I'm having a you know, my friend world is all upside down. I'm, I'm leaving friends, losing friends, moving from friends. That's what God was teaching me. The greatest thing God taught me at seminary wasn't Hebrew or Greek, because I've forgotten most all that, to be honest with you. The greatest thing God taught me in seminary was that He understands everything about me. He's in control of my life, and He will never leave me and never forsake me. He's my dearest friend. And yet sometimes we lean on our friends I was reading a devotional last week by Oswald Chambers. He said, in all of our lives, we have been blessed to have many different lights. We have family members, they're lights for us. We have friends, they're lights for us. He said, as we go through life, if we live long enough, we're going to find that some of our lights grow dim And some of our lights even go out. The people that we have depended on to brighten our lives and to to light our world, they move, they die. And from our perspective, their light has gone out. Oswald says this, when that happens, here's what you need to do. You need, instead of calling your friend or going to your family member's house, what you have to do, and maybe for the first time in your life, you have to look God in the face for yourself. And in that moment, you discover that He is the only light you have that will never grow dim, that will never disappear, and that will never go out. That's Jesus. Now, for those of us who have lost lights, my grandparents, for example, and if they were saved, that light's not out. That light just moved to heaven. That light's just brightening up heaven, if that's even possible, making heaven even brighter. 
But from our perspective, the light's out. If you, this is a good way to sum this whole thing up today. You want to make Jesus your best friend? You want to have a relationship with Jesus that's not just theological and theoretical and in your head. You want to move Jesus 18 inches from your head down into your heart and into your life. Here's how you do it. You look him in the face and say, God, these other lights have faded away. You're the only person I have that will never leave me. That The only light I have that will never grow dim. And so, God, I don't know how to do it because this friendship with you is going to be different than my friendships with everybody else because I can see everybody else. I can reach out and touch everybody else. I can hear everybody else. And, Lord, with you, it's not that way. I can't see you with my eyes. I can't hear you with my ears. And I can't touch you with my hands. So, Lord, you're going to have to help me, Lord, to build this relationship by faith. And in the process, God, I'm asking you to become more real to me than you've ever been. And I'm asking you to be more than my Savior. I'm asking you to be my friend. And Father, this is our prayer today. That you would do for us what you did for Mary on that very first Easter. That you would speak to us. That you would somehow let us know, whether it's through a song on the radio, a text from a friend, maybe this message today, that you know all about us inside and out. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to talk first to Christians today. Is Jesus your friend? Is he real to you? Is he the brightest light in your world? Or is he just one light, but really when you have problems, you go to these other lights first? Would you just say this today in your own words? Say, Lord, you're already my Savior. But God, I'm lonely. God, I feel isolated. God, I feel like I don't fit in. And God, all these feelings are causing me to be anxious and, and, and God, maybe even a little bit depressed. And God, I, I don't feel like myself. I, don't, I, I, don't, I can't think clearly. But God, I believe not only do you understand the problem, I believe that more importantly than that, you're the solution to the problem. And God, I'm asking you to do for me what you did for Mary. God, do for me what you did for John in 1993 in that little apartment in in Fort Worth. God, speak to me. God, make yourself real to me. God, lift this loneliness. Why should I feel lonely? I'm not alone. Lift it all, God. Lift the sadness. Lift it, God. Now lift it. Father, I pray right now in this room and for those listening at home that that cloud of loneliness and sadness and depression would lift. Lift it, God. You're the lifter of our heads and you're the lifter of our burdens. God, lift that cloud all over this room. Lift those clouds. God, replace it with a lightness in our spirits and a clarity in our minds and a confidence in our hearts that we are never alone. That you're always with us. Oh God, it'd be awesome if you would do that for us today. Is Jesus real to you? You say, you know, John, Jesus isn't there. You know what? You know one reason, if I could be painfully honest, and that's what you want a preacher to be, is painfully honest. One reason Jesus may not be real to you is you may never have been saved. He's in your head. You could pass the test, but he's not in your heart. You don't know Jesus in a real way. Somebody needs to get saved today. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Would you pray this? Say, Jesus, 
I need you to be real to me. God, I have sinned, and I need forgiveness. Cleanse my heart. Thank you that you're the friend of sinners. Lord, come into my heart right now and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me here and now. And I trust you. Lord, I trust you. If this relationship's going to be by faith, it's got to begin by faith. And so right now, I trust you as my Savior. And I ask you to become my friend and show me how to be friends with somebody that I can't see. We hope that today's message, Jesus, Our Greatest Friend, Part 2, has been a blessing to you today. You can find this message along with Part 1 and many others on our website, www peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.